Folks, welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Merry Christmas to all of you as we now uh, step into the official Christmas season. Uh, if you're uh, kind of keeping up with us week to week, uh, we'll be here for the next couple of weeks, but I will be going on vacation uh, the last two weeks of December, but so we, uh, the last two Wednesdays of December will not be here. Uh, as a matter of fact, our, our last day working is December the 20th, so whatever the Wednesday is after that and the one after that, we'll have two that we will not have Bible studies, and then we'll come back in January uh, ready to go. If, uh, these, these are always good times, though, is we, when we get to a time where we're not producing a new one every week, which is very rare. But when we hit those moments, it's a great time to go back through the catalog and maybe go back and pick up Bible studies that you missed. An example of that was last Wednesday uh, when I know a lot of you were traveling, and I know some of you actually in the room missed because of traveling for Thanksgiving. If you missed last week, I, I just I can strongly encourage you to go back and pick up last week's uh, Bible study. Uh, it was one of those that I think, uh, you know, if, if we're over our times here together, that, that we'd have put in the top 10. So, so go back. If you missed last week, uh, try to go pick that up. But at any time, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com uh, and you can click on Listen, and you can go back through. Uh, when we started recording these Bible studies, which was about three and a half years ago, uh, you should be able to go back and, and pick up any of those that you missed or some you'd like to go back uh, and review. So, so make a note of that. Uh, but also, uh, I want to talk about uh, January uh, at our home church in Birmingham. James Merritt will be coming over from Atlanta and speaking at Man Church on January the 26th. If you'd like to attend that, any of these services for men, uh, the ones I'm talking about at my home church, they don't cost anything. All you do is just attend. Now, if you'd like to find out where I'm going to be speaking next year, you know, is a, a big year as we launch our discipleship program uh, in a national way. We, we're going to create a hub for churches and individuals and groups to be able to access uh, discipleship and men's ministry. We'll, we'll make that live coming up next year. I'm also going to be on a very extensive speaking tour next year, implementing that at different places. So if you'd like to see uh, different speaking engagements that will be coming up, uh, if you'll go to BurgessMinistries.com, you can see events, uh, and you'll find all that out. You can also find that at RickandBubba.com under events. Some prayer requests today. Uh, tomorrow, uh, I have the honor of being part of a funeral uh, for my brother's father-in-law, uh, who uh, uh, had, the, had the honor of being present with him when he gave his life to Christ, a transformation that was uh, was the gospel. Uh, he was a walking, talking testimony. I was baptized at 76 years old. And uh, for the next six years of his life here on earth, he, he represented the, the new birth, a transformation, and impacted uh, people everywhere he went. Uh, we'll lay him to rest tomorrow, and I'll have the honor of being with him. So, so be sure and pray for my brother Greg, uh, our family, and the Davis family uh, as Tommy Davis uh, we'll, we'll celebrate his life and his transformation tomorrow. Also, uh, Harry sent me something here. Harry, and, and we, got some, we got an update on this, thankfully. Still, though, we need to pray for his nephew, Scott Flint. Uh, he was diagnosed, we thought, with cancer. We were trying to figure out how bad it was going to be, uh, but it has come back. It's still, it's still going to be a road, but the good news is it is curable. Uh, so they believe that if they can follow through with uh, uh, the diagnosis and the plan uh, to treat it, that he will make a full recovery. But still, he's got a road ahead of him. So we'll pray for Scott Flint today, uh, nephew of, of Harry here in our Bible study. Also, Bill Searcy. I know that uh, even though he continues to battle uh, the recovery from pancreatic cancer, we've had some great reports, but he does have an important doctor's appointment again today. Uh, so we'll be praying for him. And I know there's probably many other prayer requests uh, across this room. And for those 
those of you that are watching and listening. Uh, so uh, we'll pray the Lord be in each individual situation. And the good news is he's fully capable of that. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer, then we'll dive into today's Bible study. Lord, thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the grace and mercy that you've afforded us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to, to, to be intimate in a relationship with you, uh, mainly through your revelation about yourself, through your word. And I, Lord, you have told us that, that, this is, that you breathe every word that we're going to be talking about today. So we, not, we don't take that lightly. Uh, we're in reverence over that. And we know it's about to come into our lives and cut us and refine us and grow us and convict us uh, and encourage us. Uh, Lord, we do pray for these prayer requests that we've laid at your feet. I pray for Scott uh, and, and the road ahead for his recovery, but we praise the Lord that this looks like it is curable. Be with Bill Searcy today and those doctors. We pray for a good report as he continues to be this walking, talking testimony. And certainly, as you have said clearly in your word, uh, that you are near to the brokenhearted. Even though we celebrate Tommy Davis and we know that he's in your presence, there's still that grieving that takes place and that separation. For those of us that aren't where he is, uh, we'll certainly miss that relationship until you bring us all together in your presence. I pray that you be with the Davis and Burgess family as they grieve and all the other families that are tied to that. Uh, we lay these things down at your feet. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we're, going, we're continuing in John chapter 8. Uh, like I said, if you missed last week, we did talk about the fact that we don't know whether this, this part, uh, the historic event, is placed in a chronological order or not. Uh, when you get to what we're studying today, you kind of get the, the, the idea that maybe not, uh, because as, as you look at verse 12, it's almost like it picks up back at the Feast of the Tabernacles, which we were, were talking about in chapter 7. And, and it starts with the word again. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when he says, I'm the light of the world, uh, again, the fact that, you know, it says again, it may be that he's still speaking to these people. If you remember, this was the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles, involves this procession of light and all this that we talked about. So it's, it's possible, and, and I would go as far as say likely, that this really picks up there. The historical event about the woman we all believe took place, no doubt about it, but, but it's almost like it was placed right here, and now we're picking back up uh, with Jesus talking again about what they're seeing. And this is a, a metaphor that they are extremely familiar with. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the light metaphor is used, Exodus 13, 21 and 22. We, we talk about the glory, uh, the very presence of God in the cloud that led the people to the promised land. The Israelites were, were trained to sing, The Lord is my light and my salvation from Psalms 27, 1. The word of God, the law of God is a light to guide the path of these who cherish instructions. Uh, you see in Psalms 119, 105, Proverbs 6, 23. Uh, you even see Isaiah tells us that the servant of the Lord was appointed as a light to the Gentiles that he might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We see this in Isaiah 49.6. If I went too fast on those, I'll tell you again. The light metaphors, you're looking uh, at Psalms 27.1. Uh, you're looking at Psalms 119.105, Proverbs 6.23, 
Uh, also, uh, Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 49, 6. So these are, these are and also Exodus 13, 21, and 22. Again, Exodus 13, 21, and 22. And we also know in, in, the, in the book of Numbers that this, this pillar of fire and this light, again, and the cloud uh, guiding uh, the children of Israel. So this is a metaphor. When he, when he steps up, you just got to understand, when he's talking to these Jewish people and he stands up and with, and with everything that was going on at the feast and says, I am the light of the world. That is a strong statement because they know that throughout Scripture that the light is God. And they know this. They're very familiar with this. And, of course, don't, don't forget, if they know prophecy, uh, you have Isaiah saying that um, there's a servant of the Lord who was appointed as a light to the Gentiles, not a very popular statement, that he might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He's going to bring salvation to everybody. So here is Jesus looking and says, I'm the light of the world. So you see the process that we've been walking through, as, as, we, as we said at the beginning of the study of John. Jesus has come on the scene, and just as we had John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he now goes on to a campaign, uh, basically, for lack of a better term, saying, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to give you every shot that you know exactly who I am. And, and, and it, is a, it is an ongoing process. So look at, look at 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony is not true. What, what they're saying, well, you, you, anybody can say that about themselves. So, so why, why do we have to believe you? Because what he said was very well known, and it was very strong, and it would be like me coming in here, and, and if you didn't know anything about me, and all of a sudden I declared, I just want everybody here to know that I am the king of the world. And you were like, well, will you say that? I mean, where, where's the proof that you are the king of the world? Is that something you've just come up with or something you want to be? And, and so what they're saying is that, um, that, that you bear this witness about yourself. But remember, turn with me back over to 531, because this is, this is them referencing that again. John 5, verse 31, and you might remember this. I know a lot of you took good notes. You remember this. Listen to what Jesus said. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony, my testimony is, is not deemed true. They're trying to use his own words against him. So he's saying, look, look at all these things that are going on. I, it's not just me saying this. Look at everything else that is also a witness that I am who I say I am. Well, they're coming back in chapter 8 and saying, well, wait a minute. You said if you, ju if you just bear witness about yourself, that's not good enough. So they're trying to use his own words against him. And, uh, and so here's what they're really asking. Who else agrees with you? Who else? Now, he clarified back in 5 that there were several things that, that, that were witness to who he was, not just himself, and we covered those extensively. But then look at 14, what Jesus has to say in 14. So Jesus comes back in 14, and he says, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. So in 14, he's clarifying that he's not just... He, I said that I, I'm bearing witness about myself, but here's what you got to know about me. Even when I say I bear witness about myself, we already have more than one witness. Because why? The Father and I are one. The Father agrees that I am who I say I am, and I agree that I say who I am. And, and he knows that in their law it requires more witnesses. He is saying, look, he, I and the Father already have two. 
we're one God, but we're two persons. And I already have the Father as a witness, and now I am the Son bearing witness about myself. And he says, so I'm speaking on behalf of my Father. Are y'all going to doubt that the Father does not have truth in him? The Father bears witness about me. And because he says, you don't know where I came from. I came from the Father, so the Father sent me. So there's witness number one, and, and that really, that witness trumps all witnesses. So it is good enough, even if I say in this situation, because of all the things you've already seen, and you don't know where I came from. He said, I speak on behalf of my Father. He's clarifying that they do not understand this very key point about him. You know, do you ever go back and say anything in life, that you go, we can go down the road, but if you miss point one, you'll never get it. You know those things in life? If you miss this part, you'll never get it. You know, it's kind of like my, my dad often says about the game of, of American football. He says there's a lot of things you got to know about football, but at the end of it all, the team that blocks and tackles the best wins. If you don't understand blocking and tackling, it, really doesn't it doesn't really matter what the rest you know about football. Because if you don't tackle well, you don't block well, nothing else is really going to work. And so what Jesus is clarifying, y'all keep missing the point about where I came from. I keep saying over and over again that the Father and I are one, that I now, remember we talked about, he's now, I'm now the narrator for God, the Father. So he says, you don't know where I came from, and you don't know where I'm going. And then he, and then he goes on in 15. He says, you... You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, what does he mean by that? They're judging by human standards. Now, when Jesus says, I don't judge anyone, he's not saying that in no, we, we know why, because we know he's been given the authority to eventually do what? Judge the whole world. So he's not saying that he doesn't judge anyone and I'll never judge anyone. What he's saying here is he says, I'm not judging in a legal sense. You, you think I'm like you. I'm not like you. I'm, you're looking at this from your flesh. You're trying to see this. You know how many times we try to take our minds and, and, and a finite mind, and we try to comprehend all the things about God. So what do we do? We almost dumb him down into things that we can grasp, but none of it's right. None of it, none of it even comes close. You know, trust me, if Rick Burgess can tell you everything you'd ever want to know about God and completely understand it, he's not all that impressive. He far exceeds anything that my mind could ever grasp, but that's why we believe some of these things by faith, right? You know, I'll bring this up again about the Trinity. The Trinity is very difficult to comprehend. And if you, as Adrian Rogers said, which we quote a lot in here, if you try to completely comprehend the Trinity and really get it right without using any of the earthly examples that we go to so we can breathe, if you, and, and all of them fall short, by the way, if you, you know, hey, it's like H2O. It's like, uh, it's like our family. I'm a father, but I'm also an uncle and I'm also a son. No, that's not it. That is not the Trinity. Okay. It, it makes you be able to move on with your day, but it is not the Trinity. And so what, he, what Adrian Rogers said, if you truly grasp the Trinity, three persons, one God, and if you try it, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny it, you'll lose your salvation. So see, so th and that's what he's trying to say is, you guys are trying to have a conversation with me about what I'm talking about by your legal wranglings here. I don't judge like that. I'm not some judge sitting up there judging on cases. Now, he is going to judge the world. But he's just saying, you're trying to understand this from the flesh, and you're approaching me like I'm another one of these crazies that have come along in the past that have been walking around claiming to be God or claiming to be Messiah. Don't put me in that category. You know, if, if you look at my body of work so far, and I still have a lot to do, 
And as John said, if we try to capture all of it, we don't have a book big enough. But look what I've already done. And, it, and if you have taken all that and thrown it away, you're trying to go back to, 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 to day one when I came on the scene. So we, we can't have a conversation like you're wanting to have because you're coming from the flesh. And then look at 16. So in 16, he says, Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. So there he is again. So he's coming back. He's going, now, I'm not saying that I don't judge anything. I'm just saying I don't judge the way you're trying to judge us on human standards. He's clarifying. He says, this doesn't mean I don't judge at all. I came to save the world, not to condemn the world, but his presence still means the world will divide around him. But whatever, whatever judgment that he hands down of people or of events, it will always be perfect judgment. Oh, I don't judge the way you all judge. But when I do judge, it'll be right. Whatever God says about anything is correct. You know, it, 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 that's the reason why you got to be very careful about being a grace abuser. And we talked about that extensively last week. Again, if you missed last week's, go back and get it. But what he's saying is this. If, jo- if God only decided to say, I will do justice, justice only... You know, when people say things about they wish God would be fair. I don't. Because if we want God to be fair, then everybody in here should go to hell. Including the teacher. Okay? That's fair. It's not fair that we rebelled against God and He's holy and that he's, he, he came to a point where we were so wicked and so evil that He regretted that He ever made us. If you wanted to say fair, fair isn't that a holy God has to tolerate you and me. That's not fair. And if He were to judge that there would be no grace and there would be no mercy, then he would judge correctly. If he says, I will now be gracious, and I will now be merciful, and I now will come to you because you can't come to me, remember, even salvation still had requirements or it doesn't work. That's why you got to be careful of false theology. If anybody takes Jesus and makes him anything other than 100% man and 100% God, then you have not been redeemed. Because the sacrifice that had to happen, because let me tell you, the adversary went into the Garden of Evil, I mean Garden of Eden, and turned it into the Garden of Evil, and he did it just he 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 pulled it off. And so when that happened, God then must have sacrificed. That's why God, for some of you weird pet people, first thing he did was say, What? I gotta kill these animals and I gotta put some clothes on y'all, we gotta have a sacrifice. And he started a sacrificial system involving animals, which by the way, kind of gives you the pecking order. Okay, and so so this starts and that process is continuing until what? It's finished and then it's finished by who? Jesus. But Jesus had to be a perfect lamb. He had to be 100% man, but he also had to be 100% God in order to redeem us where we now usher through the blood of Jesus back into the presence of a holy God. And you know what he says? If that's what my father's doing, then it's right. Whatever my father and I judge, we judge correctly. We're not flawed like human judges. So he's not saying he never judges. He just says he always judges correctly. Everybody with me? All right, so because if you look, the final judgment, I got news for you. Guess who's judging? It's Jesus. And, uh, and, and that is going to happen. By the way, the judgment is coming. All right, so now let's look at verses 17 and 18 together because they're pretty short and pretty straightforward. So in 17 and 18, 
In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So you know what he says? Okay, with all I've said, you still need two witnesses? You got it. I'm passing that test too. If, 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 y'all, if y'all just got to have two witnesses, then you got the Father and you got me. There's two. So he's even taking their, it's a little spiritual shut-up juice about their, their demands that they need from him. He's saying that you got no way to get around who I am except for the fact you just want to reject it. But don't play games with me. So then he says in, uh, in um, 19, and they said to him, where's your father? What, what, what's this father you're talking about? So again, in the frustration, I can't imagine, in verse 19, again, they don't get it. They, they, they have an inability to reconcile in their mind that Christ really is here narrating for the Father and that the Father and the Son are one, but they're also two. But, but who's your Father? Where's your Father? Because remember, what have they already said in some of the grumblings? Isn't his dad like a carpenter? Don't they, isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? Well, what, what's this Father you're talking about? Now, here's what's important. And this is one of those things that, uh, that kind of applies to all of us. You know what this is really saying? And Jesus makes this clear over and over again throughout this. The biggest problem you got and the reason why you can't accept what I'm telling you is you've lived your life claiming to be these chosen people and claiming to know my Father, but your rejection of me reveals a truth about you. You don't know my Father. If you knew my father, then you would know me. And you would be celebrating this. And you would be embracing this as opposed to opposing me. To oppose me is to oppose the very father you claim to know. And see, that, 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 that's that same thing that we keep seeing. It happened in my life, which I was so thankful for, even though it was hard in the beginning. You'll see them do the same thing. Is when a man looked into my life after I went around telling everybody that I know Jesus which means I know the Father, and, I, and I'm under the power of the Holy Spirit. And this man had the, had the courage to look into my sin-filled life. Remember what we said last week, the writer of Hebrews, if you deliberately go on to sin, if you keep sinning deliberately, and it talks about this, that you profane grace. And this man looked into my life and said what Jesus just said to these people. Your life reflects that you don't really know what you claim to know. You claim to be redeemed. You claim to be in the authority of Jesus. You claim to be reconciled back to the Father. And you claim to have had the power of the Holy Spirit come into your life. But the way you live reveals you really don't. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about a code of conduct. Don't ever, don't ever see that. That's, that's, if you come in and hear the things that we're saying in here and you huff out of here and drive off and don't come back and you start saying, oh, it's just a bunch of legalism. And you know the thing that makes me sick too is when I hear men say that they don't participate in Bible studies or they don't participate in stuff that's going on because they don't want to hear somebody come in there and get on them. You realize if a man doesn't get on to me and, 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 and be courageous enough to point into my life, I'm still on a road to hell. So, so when, when men won't come because I know what I'm going to hear or, or I, I don't want anybody to come in there and start on, that's somebody that has no desire to be right with God. You know what those, these men are saying? I'm good. 
Anybody in here ever went through a period of your life being a cultural Christian claiming I'm good? Did you see a lot of victory for the kingdom in those, in those days when, when you said, don't want to grow, don't want to be sanctified, don't want to mature? Like I've said a thousand times, the thing that perplexed me so much about men is how they will ridicule anybody who wants a participation trophy or anybody who, who, who says you got to work for it, you got to do this, and then you look at their faith, you know what they say, I hope Jesus gives me a participation trophy. Don't expect anything from me. You know, I don't want that. I don't want that part of my life to be excellent. And but my goodness, like we said, I've said it in here, and I said it at a men's day one time. You could have heard a pin drop. I said, "How many of y'all want to fire your football coach if he goes three and nine? Boy, hands just shot up everywhere. And I said, "Should Jesus fire you? What have you ever done for the kingdom? I mean, are you a three and nine Christian? I mean, so so the excellence, the lack of excellence, you wouldn't tolerate for some stupid football coach." you'll tolerate in the very thing that's the key to eternity. I mean, your eternity is wrapped around this, and you say, ah, mediocre's fine with me. So, so I, I don't have anything from people who say, I don't want to hear hard teaching. I don't have anybody who says, I don't want to go in there and, and have somebody challenge me or somebody to get up in my face. Frankly, if you have that kind of attitude, I don't know too many men that really, truly feel that way and still remain to be a man. Most men want to be challenged, and they want to say, I want to rise to the occasion. And like I said, I think, I think we're going to transform men's ministry with this statement. If you truly want to be a man, then just follow Jesus. And I got news for you. To follow Jesus is difficult. As a matter of fact, following Jesus is so difficult, very few men can do it. Most of us aren't cut out for it. Now, see, if that would be the way we approach men's ministry, the way God made men, I think you see more men like we've seen in here start pushing, saying, I want some of that. I think a lot of times the way men walk away and have no interest in the church is all they've ever been told is it really doesn't matter what they do, that Jesus is still going to save them and, and, and all this grace and all this mercy, which is wonderful. But we put it to a point that a man looks around and goes, so really, as long as I believe in Jesus, no matter what I do, it really doesn't matter. By the way, that's not biblical. We've seen a lot of that. But I think that's why a lot of men just turn away and go, well, what's the big deal then? What's the value to this? And what they do is say, let me do something to kind of see if I won't go to hell when I die. But I guess in my day-to-day -day life, this really doesn't have any value. Because it, undoubtedly, it doesn't really matter what you do. Now, see, if that's your theology, I apologize whoever taught you that. Or you taught it to yourself. But that's a very dangerous theology. It's a very dangerous theology. And it's not biblical. So Jesus is taking this on. He's saying the very fact that you reject me means the very father that you keep asking me where he is and you claim to know, you don't know him because if you knew him, you would know me. Look, and if you, don't, if you don't agree with me, look what he says next. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. <coughs> Period. What do you mean say to me, where's my father? All that does is tell me you've missed everything I'm talking about and the reason why you've missed it is you don't know my father. And you don't know me because you never knew my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, see, I love that. And you're thinking, now, why is that thrown in there, Rick? And I'll tell you why. First of all, it's pretty straightforward. They're telling you the location of where he is, you know, is the treasury. This is where they kept the money. This is where they did this. And he's in there talking. But that, and that's a minor point. But here, here's the major point. 
is, is, is the next part, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So John's making clear, look, here's Jesus. Everybody, these Pharisees are mad at him. They're debating about who he is. He's so confident about who he is in his father's house. He's just walking around the treasury. I mean, like he owns the place. And, and, and normally anybody would have been escorted out of there, especially somebody claiming to be God, but nobody touched him. And, and John tells us why nobody touched him. Because his hour had not yet come. Why is that important? Because the larger point is, you know what John's reminding us? Jesus is in charge. These people aren't in charge of him. If they were in charge of him, they'd go grab him. Right? I mean, what's hard about Jesus who we're all upset with is standing right here. Now he's walking around the treasury like he owns the place. Somebody grab him. We know we already had the temple cards show up once and they didn't grab him. Because what they say? Nobody speaks like this guy does. He's got an authority that he's speaking with that we can't quite put our finger on, but we respect it. Something, something's not right here. So Jesus is in control when we make this point. And let, let, me, let, that, let that rest a minute on you, okay? I know there's a lot of issues in here. You're, you're living in a fallen creation. Everybody in here has got problems. If you don't have a problem right now, one's coming, or you know somebody that's got a problem. There, we, we live in a world of, of, of problems and chaos and difficulty. But here's what you need to know from this right here. A simple verse like where Jesus was and that nobody grabbed him. Jesus is in control. He's in charge. That's why he says in John 16, which we'll get to, I say this so that you have peace. In this world, you're going to face tribulation. But you always have joy in your heart because I've overcome the world. Whatever you're facing, I don't care how hard it is, Jesus has overcome it. He's in control if you belong to him. So here's the next thing he says. Two and one. So he says to them again. Notice he's repeating this again. We've already heard this before. He says it again. I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins because where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. This is not the hippie Jesus, is it? You know what he's saying? When I go back to the Father and you continue to reject me, you're going to die in your sins because I'm here to redeem you of your sins. And if you miss this, where I'm going, you cannot come. And you will die in your sins. You don't even know where I've gone. You'll start seeking me, wondering what is going on. Now, let me tell you what he's talking about here. Some of it's obvious what I just said, but he's talking about his death. And this is really, really cool. D.A. Carson says this. He knows they'll try to deny his resurrection. He's already looking ahead. And, 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 they, and, and he's talking about the, the earthly death that's about to happen on the crucifixion and the resurrection. And they're going to they're gonna deny, even after the resurrection, a lot of these same Pharisees will deny that he rose from the dead. Okay? And he says, and what they're going to be saying is, we're still waiting on Messiah. Where is Messiah? And you're going to miss it because I've already come. You're going to be seeking. He's not saying you'll be seeking Jesus. What he's saying is you're going to keep seeking Messiah because you're not going to know who I am. You're not going to know where to find me. And you're going to be seeking Messiah. But Messiah has already come and gone to the cross and paid the price. I've rose from the dead. You're going to deny that too. And then I'm going back to the Father. And because of your denial of who I was, you'll die in your sins and you will not be able to come where I'm going. Let me be clear. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. It's not all going to just work out. 
If you deny Jesus Christ's redemption, you will not go where He is. And you and I, if we deny His resurrection and deny His redemption, you, we will die in our unrepented sin, our unpaid for sins, and we will not go where Jesus is. It's not just going to work out. We will die and we will go to hell. It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a big deal for you and me. It's a big deal for our wives, if you have them. It's a big deal for our children. It's a big deal for the people you pass and work with. It's a really big deal. And there's many people out there that have looked at Jesus and said, either I reject him or what we found out earlier in the Gospel of John, he won't be who I want him to be, so I reject him. Or I'm going to make him into something I'd rather him be. I want to accept him for who he is. And so he's making this very clear. Now this upsets, upsets everybody. <laughs> As, I don't know if you've noticed this. Sometimes people don't take this kind of talk very well. And uh, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? So see, they know he's talking about that he's going to die. Well, they, they can't get this concept. They don't know he's going to the cross and what he's talking about. So now they're turning around going, he's talking about he's going to kill himself. Is that what he's talking about? Is, 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 since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. They know that means he's going to die. So they're trying to figure out how is he going to die. But then he turns around and he clarifies in 23. They don't understand what he's talking about, about where he's going, they cannot come. They know that that means he's going to die, but they don't understand how it's going to happen. So then 23, he clarifies. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. We need to get that. Hey, you're from the world. You're from a fallen creation. You got a fallen flesh. That's why I keep saying, what? You got to be born again. And I'm going to tell you something. You heard me mention this before we get started. I've seen it in a lot of lives, thankfully. But I got to tell you, when Tommy Davis gave his life to Jesus at 76 years old and got baptized at 76, for the next six years of his life, he lived to be 82. He wasn't even the same human being. Do you realize how much time Tommy Davis had been in this fallen world and been in the fallen flesh? 76 years, and Jesus fixed it like that. Because he was sincere. He truly repented and was redeemed. This man, the way he talked changed. The places he would go had no desire for him anymore. He went into a local church and never missed. I mean, I'm sitting here talking about to Tommy Davis when I get to, got to go talk to him before he passed, and we're sitting there talking about heaven, and he's just going on and on about his church family, a guy who's been going to church for six years. And I mean, I mean and there's people that have been showing up for, for some cultural experience for, for 25 years, and they don't love the local church as much as Tommy Davis did. Because to him, it was a big deal. He was almost like looking around going, why are people not more excited about this? Hey, I will tell you that Tommy Davis will tell you that the last six years of his life eclipsed all the other before that. Six years of walking with Jesus. He loved every minute of it. He was radically changed. And, and it all started with standing in a room watching his daughter die her earthly death. 
who suffered immensely. And I, I was fortunate enough to be there with him when she made her decision for Jesus. And he's standing there with a SEC football hat on. And I remember when I, after it was over, I said, you know, she's not the only one dying. We all died. Everybody in this house has died. She's made her decision. What about everybody else? And, of course, the daddy said, which is understandable. And God even understands it. He says, I don't know why God would let my daughter go through what I just had to watch. Hey, I understand that. I said, but can I just, can I speak frankly? I, you're an older man. I want to respect you. Is it okay for me to speak frankly to you? And, of course, Tommy Davis ain't afraid of me. He said, absolutely. I said, if, if your daughter wasn't dying like this, would we all be in here having church in this house? Would we be talking about our eternity? Would we be talking about redemption? Or would we be talking about SEC football? Which way do you think he'd be going? Maybe he loves everybody in here enough to let this happen. Because this is not where we're going to end up. Where Susie's going, she'll be completely healed and completely redeemed. But everybody in this house has died. And he gave his life to Jesus. And he was never the same. Has it changed your life radically? Has the encounter of Jesus Christ changed your life radically? Because if it hasn't, then that is on you. And through my period of life, when I claimed that I had believed in Jesus and it hadn't changed me, it was on me. I'd never really encountered Jesus because he's too powerful to leave people the same. And this cultural Christianity that we keep shopping, it's going to send people to hell. Dallas Willard said it. We've been selling the gospel way too low. Way too low. It is a radical life change. And so Jesus says, you're from below, I'm from above, you're of this world, I am not of this world. Hey, don't love the world more than you love Jesus. Can you imagine, I mean really, can you imagine if, if we were sitting there and they, we were about to get on airplanes right now, and there were two planes sitting there, say, say I chartered an airplane for both of us, everybody in this room, and there's two sitting there, Burgess, which one are we getting on? Well, I'll tell you this, this one right here is going to crash and, and burn and we're all going to die. Or this one's going to get to where we're going. Would anybody get on the plane that's going to crash? Can I tell you, if you're of this world, you're on the plane that's going to crash. And if you're not of this world, then you're on the plane that is going to life. We're going to get to where we're going. And that's going to be in the presence of God. Why would you cling to something that is dying? Why would you continue to cling to something that keeps disappointing you? Why would you continue to cling to something that every time you think you got something going, it vaporizes? I can remember moments in my life where I thought, man, it doesn't get any better than this. It didn't even seem like it ever happened now. It didn't even seem like it ever happened. I watch right now my daddy aging and getting older, and I think to myself, Man, there was a time when he was the king of the world. And he'll always be special to me, but now I watch him aging and watching the world taking it away from him. And I'm like, man, I'm glad this isn't all there is. 
I mean, think about that. I mean, you know, you even look at little, little, the little hobbies and things of our life. I mean, one day you're fishing, and, man, you're catching fish like there's no tomorrow. The next day you couldn't catch a fish if you tried. One, one year your football team's winning, everything's going great. The very next year you lose. Man, you got this job, and everything's great with your job, and you think, man, I'll never get better than this. All of a sudden you look around, they fire you. Man, you had this going, everything was going great, your health is fantastic. Next thing you know, they tell you you got cancer. Maybe you hold a little boy in your arms and you think, man, this is the reward for all. I'm finally learning how to be a dad. This kid is going to get the best of all worlds. I worked out all my other stuff with his brothers and sister. And then he dies. So if, 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 if this is all there is, then my life's already over. I'll never... Get heaven on earth. Never. But can I tell you, and I don't say this for any other reason than it's the truth, I am more at peace and I'm more thrilled and I get up with more desire right now in my life than anything before. Even when I was big, strong, and fast, it pales to now that I hurt and I'm struggling my weight and I'm slow. But my life is so much more fulfilling under the authority of Jesus than any moment in my life when I wasn't. Nothing compares. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that's what he's saying. You're, look, you're clinging to the world, which is why you're rejecting me. You'll never have me as long as you're going to cling to that world. And he, then he doubles down again. You are from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. Look at 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. I love this next statement from the Pharisees. Who are you? Who are you? Man, you really, you realize Jesus didn't go, you know, I did that die in your sin thing and it really upset everybody, so I'm going to leave that alone. He said, I've already told you what's going to happen. If you don't believe in me, if you, don't, if you don't start figuring out that I'm here to pay the price, that I am Messiah, I am the Lamb of God, if you don't get this right, you're going to die in your sins. I'm your only hope. I think about the times of my life that I stiff-armed. My only hope. Jesus coming in, hey, Rick, hey, Rick, eh. <coughs> I, I still love this world. And a lot of times... The reason why we rejected Jesus is because we did know what he said. Because, hey, how many times you heard this? Redemption might be free, but it ain't cheap. And it'll cost you. I'll tell you what it'll cost you for sure, your sin. It certainly will. It may cost you friends. It may cost you your job. It may cost you a family member. See, Jesus always, he said, look, I'm, I'm going to redeem you, but, you know, the world hates me. So if you really get in sync with me, the world's going to hate you too. He says, you don't believe that. These people are of the world, and they hate me right now. And he says, you better get this right. And then their next question, which I said I loved, who, who are you? <laughs> so they said to him, who are you? And you know what was so convicting about that? Y'all have heard my testimony many times. 
Did you know that's exactly what I said to the pastor who pointed at my life and said, I'm not going to marry you because you lost? You know what my next statement was? Who are you to tell me I'm lost? Do you realize that's what they just said to Jesus? And you know what he said to me? Just what Jesus said to them. I'm not telling you you're lost. Your life tells me you're lost. You're your own testimony. <laughs> you don't need me to point. All I'm pointing out is said, and he listed, all this is who you are. Now you make the case that you belong to Jesus. You've heard the analogy many times. I had, at that day, I was put on trial, and I had been accused of being a Christian, and the jury came back and says, we do not find him guilty. <laughs> We've looked at the evidence, and this, is, this man can go. He is not a Christian. Hey, it's okay to come to that conclusion before you die and go to hell, by the way. So Jesus, you know, because sometimes, especially where we live, you know what the most difficult thing is to get somebody who has claimed to be a Christian for such a long time, just to admit they're not. Just, just admit you're not. I had to finally do that. Now, I know it'll upset people, and people will go back, and maybe they'll say, well, how come you said this? Look, don't let any of that. You, here's what you got to know. The only person that I didn't want to be on the wrong side of was God. You know, I've had these relationships in my life before. I said, I've come to the conclusion that somebody's going to be mad. Either you, human being, or God. And I pick you. As far as I'm concerned, we're going to be at peace. Because that's, that's what he told me to do. But if this makes you mad that I'm going to stay devoted to Jesus, then you're just going to have to be mad. And so when we get down to the point where the world's going to be upset with us or God, hey, listen, it may be difficult in the short term. <laughs> pick the world. Pick the world to be mad at you, not God. And this is what Jesus is laying before them. So Jesus comes back and he says, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Who are you? Hey, I've been trying to tell you. And you're not listening to me. I have much to say about you and much to judge. Oh, what? You know what Jesus says? Hey, I'm just getting started. I've got a lot to say about this situation. More than I've already said. And I have what? Much to judge. <sighs> Hey, Jesus doesn't like people to live in sin. He just told the woman last week to now go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. You repent of your sin? Yes, I do, Lord. Well, then go. Hey, but stop it. What did we say last week? She didn't say to Jesus, thank you for not stoning me. But, and you, you, you really kept the stoning to give me just enough time to go sleep with another guy across town. That's not what she said. He said, now you go and you sin no more. Clean, clean this life up and stop rebelling against us. So he says, I've been trying to tell you from the beginning. I have much to say about you, much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Hey, I'm just telling you the truth. And you'll see we get down, we'll come back next week, and we'll talk about what he talks about the truth. He's saying that, 
that you, you've got to understand that what I'm telling you about you dying in your sins in 22 is going to happen. 23, they're clinging to the world. 24, they have to believe. 25, who are you? And then 26, he says, I'm not reluctant. I have much to say. I've been trying to tell you exactly who I am from the beginning. And here's what I've been trying to say. The world is evil. It's in need of redemption. And the Father has sent me to judge and redeem you. That's why I'm here. I keep trying to tell you that. If you want to know why I'm here, I'll tell you why. To judge you, you'll be judged guilty, and then I'm here to redeem you. I've judged the world as guilty. The world is evil. The world is in need of redemption. Uh, I've heard it said this simple. We call Him Savior. Well, it must mean there's something we need to be saved from. Right? And you can't ever really appreciate being saved until you figure out what you're being saved from. He says, so I'm going to judge this world. I'm going to point to what's wrong. But hey, I'm here to redeem you. And if you reject me, then I judge you. What do we say about Romans 8? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means there is condemnation for those who aren't. There it is. Good news for those that, that have been redeemed. Bad news for those that are not. So he says, and, and he who sent me is the Father. And he keep, he's really to the point now, they don't even, they just, they're frustrating because they don't get it. But boy, I have been just as frustrating to Jesus as these men, I promise you. So Jesus said to them, John says in 27, they do not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. They still don't get it. So Jesus says in 28, and we're getting ready to close, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. 30. And, he was saying, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Well, well. Some people didn't wait on the cross. Some people heard this presentation. The Bible documents this. And they believed so wait a minute. So Jesus actually talked about sin. Jesus actually talked about the world being evil. Jesus talked about that the world is evil, and Jesus talked about that they're in need of redemption. And he even said that if you reject me, you will die in your sins. <sighs> but, but it seems like it was effective. So there were people in this group that said, I don't want any part of that. I want to be saved. You ever, you ever, you ever go through that? You ever, you ever have that deal where you have people say sometimes, well, you're just trying to scare us. You are correct. <laughs> don't you sometimes need to know what the deal is? You know, let, let me just tell you up front, here's what's going to happen. And... Um, the beautiful thing is that God says, here's what's going to happen, but it doesn't have to happen to you. I've resolved the problem. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool if, you, if I said, now look, when you step outside this studio today, there, there is a, the biggest grizzly bear you've ever seen in your whole life, and he's going to slaughter everybody who goes out here. Unless. Now, now if I said, after unless... Who's listening? Unless y'all follow me out the office entrance and then we're going to get in my truck and go. You know what I mean? And, and because we don't want to go that way. Then y'all go with me, wouldn't you? 
What if I said, listen to me very carefully, do everything I say, or, or you're going to be devoured by this bear outside the studio. Do not go out the golden ticket seat entrance. And what if somebody said, ah, I reject that. Well, when you got carved up, it ain't on me, right? <laughs> and that's really what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, here's, here's the deal, so be with me so that doesn't happen, right? Don't die in your sin. Amen? So then he says, he's talking about lifting up, he's talking about the cross. He said, there's going to be a public declaration of why I came, and that there's going to be a process of, of lifting me up. He said, but as you lift me up on that cross, and this is beautiful, this is also from Carson. He said, what he's saying is, when y'all lift me up on that cross, all you are doing is lifting me back into my Father's presence. And this is going to be the process of, of me being restored and returned to my proper glory. All y'all going to do when y'all put me on that cross is put me right back where I belong, back with my Father. And you're going to see it. And when I'm up there, you're going to see all kinds of decorations about who I am. And, and you're going to hear me talking to the Father. And you're going to see that we're together. And you're going to see that I, you realize I, I, of my own will, lowered myself to this position. I, I left the throne and I came here and I lowered myself. Remember what he said to Pilate? No one takes my life from me. I lay down my own life for the world. And I'll lift it up again. And just when you think you're putting me down and you're ridding this world of me, all you're doing is putting me back into the glory that I deserve. I'll return to glory. I'll, get, I'll restore all this. This, this. this process I've been through, the little baby in the manger, you know, as we're getting close to Christmas, I, I regret to say this and I would not do it again at this period of my life. I watched Talladega Nights. And you remember Ricky Bobby? What'd he say? I prayed to the baby Jesus. Now, that's supposed to be a joke, and it's supposed to be sacrilege, and it's supposed to be making fun of our Savior, which is why we shouldn't participate in that garbage, and I regret that I did. But there's a lot of theology in that. Because I know a lot of people that want Jesus to be baby Jesus. And this time of year, man, they're all in on baby Jesus. Hey, let me break it to everybody watching. Baby Jesus is over. We remember it, and we're thankful for it. And you know what else is over? The lowly servant, the crucified Jesus, the beaten Jesus, the mocked Jesus, the spit on Jesus. That's all over. He's been returned to his glory. And when he comes back this second time, nobody will be saying, well, I wonder if this is it. What, is there some guy out here claiming that the Lamb of God's here and there's some baby and there's, there's some, what's all this? There's some star over it? I might believe that, I might not. It's not going to be that anymore. That's all over. The guessing will be over on the second return. And everybody is going to bow their head. And everybody is going to acknowledge that He is Lord. And those who have been redeemed will be called up to Him. And those who rejected Him will be judged by Him. But baby Jesus is over. He said, I'll be returned to my glory. I'm going to redeem the world. And then I go back to where I came from. And those of you that have, have been redeemed, you'll come to where I am. And those of you who are not, will not be able to come to where I am. That's it. Do you know that's really the story of Christmas? That's the spirit of Christmas. 
But this is something that we're looking at that has already taken place. It's over. It's over. It's been fulfilled. So when you get into this spirit of Christmas, don't, don't, don't forget to look ahead and celebrate what has been done, not just what happened in history. Because there is no more baby Jesus. The king is coming back to draw us to him and to judge the world. And as Jesus said in our message today, and we'll close with this, maybe it's time for some of you out there to be a verse 30. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Maybe that's your day today. Jesus has told us today clearly who he is. And some people that day accepted it, as documented by John in verse 30. And then we know as we continue to follow Jesus to the cross, some people were just dug in and they were going to be against him. So which one are you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. I pray, Lord, that you'll take this and apply it to us today. I, I pray for the brokenhearted. I pray for the unredeemed. I pray for the seeker. And Lord, I pray for those that are somewhere in between that are just trying to get it right. I remember this too. Even members of this, uh, this Bible study that keep having struggles and, and falling back and trying to get back up on their feet uh, as their flesh and, and the things of this world continue to shred them. I pray, Lord, that they'll completely submit to you and receive the redemption power that only you provide. To not to raise their eyes up to a life on this earth that is perfect or easy, but they'll experience that hope and that peace and joy that only you provide. And then they can cling to that promise that no matter what they face, you have overcome it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.